Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, the fall will be here before you know it, and the temperatures will start to drop and get a little bit cooler. So swing on by Leon Tailoring to get you something warm that will not burn a hole in your pocket. Maybe it's a nice little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a heavier blouse or skirt, or no matter what it is, maybe a nice sweater. No matter what it is, you can get it at Leon Tailoring. Get it ready-made or custom-made or tailor-made. Just go on in, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you, and they'll be happy to do it as well. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Okay, thanks for joining us today. I'm Matt Onger with the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. I'm joined today by our president and CEO, Kevin Brenniger, our vice president of education and workforce development, Jason Bierce, and our vice president of economic development and technology, uh, Adam Berry. Um, each of my colleagues here will give two to three minutes uh, of an update on uh, some of the top bills seeing activity in their uh, area of interest. And then uh, we'll go ahead and open it up for questions. Uh, to ask a question, just go ahead and um, you can unmute yourself and ask it or type it in the in the chat or, or the Q&A and I'll go ahead and ask that for you. Um, Kevin, if you wanna go ahead and unmute yourself and go ahead and kick things off if you like, thank you. Uh, well, good morning everyone and thank you for joining us. Um, it has been a very busy week in assembly as you all know, as you follow it. Um, I just came from the WFYI studios from a uh, team of the Indiana Lawmakers Program, um, talking about House Bill 1008 and the um, what we refer to as the anti-ESG legislation. Uh, along with myself uh, was Representative Manning, who's the author of the bill, State Treasurer Daniel Elliott, who would have very significant responsibility under legislation and uh, Representative Ed Delaney. Um, it was a very spirited uh, discussion and debate with um, the chamber in opposition to that bill as it currently stands, uh, as long as well as Representative Delaney and, and um, not surprisingly, Representative Manning and Treasurer Elliott, uh, the state treasurer would have a, a major role, kind of be the anti-ESG police or czar. Uh, under this legislation. Um, so it was quite a, a spirited discussion. We'll have a, a, a pretty controversial bill uh, being heard in committee uh, as uh, we're talking here today. Um, I'm having to do with um, putting restrictions on union only project labor agreements and public works projects. Um, so that is going on as well. And then I would also lead off by saying that Senate Bill 2, um, which is spearheaded by the chamber and, and very important to all of our small businesses who are past these um, sailing through the general um, with an effort to get it to the governor's desk as soon as possible so that tax preparers and the department um, deal with that because it is relative back to the, this year. Uh, that bill provides all the non-businesses in Indiana, vast, vast majority businesses in Indiana, um, the opportunity to take full deductibility for their state and local income paid on their federal tax return. And it assists to small businesses of well over $100 million without the state revenue coffers because it would be um, from uh, reducing their federal income tax. So those are just a couple of them, the highlights to start with. 
Uh, and uh, with that, I would go over to my colleague, Jason Beer, because there is a whole lot of things on, of importance to not only the business community, but the state as a whole in the area of workforce and, econ uh, excuse me, workforce uh, Adam, after that. Hey, Kevin. Good morning, everyone. And said, uh, there's a lot, lot of legislature, particularly education and workforce. And thankfully, much of it is aligned with our, our chamber's agenda. Um, in the interest of time, I think it's on kind of two buckets. Um, one, uh, childhood and child. Um, there's probably no issue that urged as more having more locations for both of our young students, but also for workforce participation and early learning and childcare access. Um, there are schools moving right now. Um, starting with, of course, the end of the go, it calls for matching grantors who subsidize child care, something we're very supportive of. In a related move, uh, Senator Kyle Walker has Senate Bill 186, which would provide an employer um, for employers so who um, subsidize. So kind of two same aiming at the basic lever, which is how can we use public dollars to incentive investment by the private increased child care um, uh, access? Uh, it, we had thought that Senate Bill 186 was going to come vote uh, actually this morning in appropriations, but late yesterday that the plan by uh, Senator Mishler to um, actually incorporate that into the budget in some form. Meanwhile, uh, yesterday in House Education, um, there was a couple bills that were that were heard, including um, House Bill 51, which is a various matters bill, but includes some language championed also uh, effective to child care. One increasing the eligibility threshold for um, families to 138% of poverty line. It's at 127% now, so that's good. Um, also, uh, uh, a priority call for is re revising or, or um, uh, reconfiguring the state's path to qual path with quality system, more streamlined, but also to um, incorporate objective measures of kindergarten readiness, which is not something that's that's current in the, the past equality. And then uh, last but not least is regulatory reform. There's what I've been, there's 80 pages of state regulations for child care providers. Sure, all of it's well-intentioned, it is onerous, and some of it's probably unnecessary. So um, for both that quality framework and the regulatory uh, streamline, um, the language used yesterday would essentially ask the governor's advisory council to make stations that would be adopted by um and the Department of Education. So assuming that keeps moving at the rate it is, we're very encouraged that we're going to make some significant progress um, in, in, in that area. Second bucket, I, I would generally frame it as talent pipeline development. Um, there are two bills that are moving um, with almost identical language, um, House Bill 1449 and Senate Bill 435. Um, both bills call for eligible low-income students automatically enrolled in the 21st Century Scholars Program, which is something that, that we've championed along with others, and it seems to be getting broad bipartisan support, so hopefully a smooth pathway to becoming law. Um, a somewhat bill that, that has emerged several times over the last uh, couple of years, but but has not uh, unfortunately made it a law is um, also um, affecting high school seniors um, to uh, file the free application for federal student aid or FAFSA um, at making that an opt out rather than opt in. Um, that passed the Senate Education Committee yesterday, 12 to zero. And then lastly, in terms of like um, high school transparency, but also ensuring that the credentials students are leaving high school with have value. Um, there's bills um, on the south side that are looking to address um, what we've come to find is 
proliferation or of um, high school graduation waivers. Um, those ensure that the the uh, waiver reported clearly on um, um, public graduation reporting, and moreover, a cap on how many waivers. Um, schools are allowed to provide. Uh, this kind of became an issue for us when we looked at data to find that in some school districts, 25, 30, or more percent of a graduating class is, which essentially means they're graduating without meeting the standards for high school graduation. Um, if they can't meet that minimum threshold, um, they're going to be really struggle for post-secondary education as well as in the labor market. So um, with that, um, I guess I just turn it over either back to Kevin or to Adam. Adam? Sorry, I was having trouble getting the, the mute off there uh, for a second, but thank you, Jason, Kevin. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, as Kevin mentioned, I'm Adam Berry, uh, Vice President of Economic Development and Technology here at the Chamber. And we're sort of at that period in, in the legislative session uh, for the first half where bills are either switching houses um, or being recommitted. And so a lot of the efforts um, are sort of going on behind the scenes outside of the public eye. For example, Senate Bill 248, which is the driving privilege card uh, legislation, which is a chamber priority, passed out of the Senate Homeland Security and Transportation uh, Committee, and now we're waiting for it to get a hearing in, in the Appropriations Committee, so we're working diligently on that. Uh, I guess a, a, a one item that, that came up this week of, of importance um, is, is House Bill 13 for uh, which Representative Teska Teska uh, authored is called the the Right to Start Act, and essentially what it does is it it uh, requires um, the uh, I uh, and IDOA and DWD to track the amount of money that it spends on workforce development initiatives, uh, state contracts, uh, economic and to determine what, what percentage of that money goes to support or help uh, new businesses, zero to five years old. Um, in addition, it, it calls for the uh, for waiving new business fees, uh, license registration fees for new businesses. And as you know, this is, this is important because you know, Indiana ranks in the bottom 10 in terms of new business creation, uh, as well as the share of employment at firms zero to five years old. Um, and so we're, we're, those are some, some economic development metrics that really need some attention. Um, and Indiana is certainly trending in the right direction. Last year, Forbes ranked Indiana the number one state in the country to start a business. Uh, we had a record year in terms of uh, uh, venture capital investment in the state. Uh, so this, this bill is sort of the equivalent of uh, the state investing in its, its new business uh, sector and, and, and in its entrepreneurs. Um, that bill was held in, in the Government and Regulatory Reform Committee. Uh, and uh, there were some questions about some administrative uh, burdens that need, to, that need to be ironed out. Um, I guess another bill that saw some activity this week uh, was the lawsuit lending bill. Um, this bill is now currently on third reading. It was amended. Um, it's, it is House Bill 1124, authored by Representative Lehman. Um, and it, you guys are familiar with lawsuit lending, um, uh, where uh, private equity um, invests in a plaintiff, essentially, uh, provides them a loan at very high interest rates, and then captures whatever award uh, is is received at the end of the at the end of the settlement or whatever the case may be. This bill calls for 
those contracts between a plaintiff and a, and a lawsuit lender to be disclosed to the opposing party. Uh, we, the chamber feels this will um, sort of help uh, with the settlement process, more transparency, um, and uh, otherwise make uh, make these these lawsuits run more efficiently. So with that, that I'll pause um, and happy to take any questions. Okay, we'll go ahead and open up for questions. So feel free to uh, just uh, go ahead and unmute yourself and ask those. Thank you. Morning, gentlemen. I got a question for you guys this morning. How's everybody doing? Great, Mayor. How are you? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, question. Uh, yesterday, the House held a public hearing on uh, marijuana legalization, decriminalization. Obviously, no vote yet. Uh, Kevin, my question for you guys is, I know the chambers have been opposed to it. Is it uh, because of, for, for lack of a better term, the, the drug testing part? Because I know in some states that have legalized marijuana, they still let businesses do their drug tests and keep their drug policies in place. So if somebody did test positive for marijuana, they could be discharged or or dismiss uh, your guys' thoughts on that part of the legislation. Well, let me talk about our position in general, if I could. Um, uh, we have a board adopted position in opposition to legalization of either medical or recreational marijuana, um, because one, it's still illegal at the federal level, and the FDA has not approved marijuana for any valid medical purpose. Um, we also have opposition because we're concerned about uh, the impact that we've seen in other states on workplace injuries, on uh, absenteeism, and uh, traffic accidents, and things related to that. Certainly, if it were uh, if it were to pass, um, we believe, and I think the courts have, have affirmed that employers uh, can still have drug testing policies and still prohibit um, the um, the use of marijuana in proximity to the workday. And um, we encourage employers who have drug testing plans to continue to use them. And if they so chose and somebody tested positive, uh, then that would be grounds for dismissal or other disciplinary action. Okay, uh, any other questions? Yes, I have, this is Tom Davies from AP. I have a question. Uh, Adam talked about the driving privileges bill. Are you expecting that to advance or what are you hearing from uh, legislators on, on that? And so we, we know for sure uh, that um, this is a uh, politically uh, divisive issue. Um, the bill passed out of uh, the Homeland Security Committee six five um and uh so i think it, it's you know the we, the fact that it even received a hearing this year um is a big step in in the right direction um i i i cannot say with certainty um that it will receive a hearing i know that we're working hard um talking with members of the appropriations committee to get them uh, I guess more familiar with the with the concept, um, pointing out the the benefits of the bill, benefits to the to the communities of Indiana, to the state as a whole, um, and just getting them uh, more comfortable with with the with the issues and 
Uh, it just, it will really come down to whether or not Senator Mishler um, schedules the bill for a hearing, but uh, I, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic that it will receive a hearing. And then uh, with, we're still waiting to see what happens in the House with the ESG uh, uh, language on that pension bill. Uh, is there any changes you think that uh, they've discussed with you or that you think they can make that would make uh, the chamber in support of, of that legislation? Or at least neutral. Um, the speaker in his media availability last Thursday referenced that they're working on an amendment to try to mitigate the um, projected loss in investment earnings that uh, came out of the LSA fiscal note, what was that, a week ago, Monday. Um, Representative Manning this morning said he's expecting to get that amendment um, finished from drafting from LSA today. Um, and then you know, obviously it'll be his choice as to when and, and how widely he uh, shares that amendment. Um, I would point out that while House Bill 1008 is getting most all the attention, that Senator Holdman has a bill on this topic as well, but his bill merely codifies what is really already policy and practice with NPERS, you know, saying that essentially that the investments need to be um, done through the lens or the, the, the policy of uh, trying to maximize returns for the minimal amount of risk. Um, don't know whether the amendment to 1008 is going to go that far or not, probably not. But if the, um, even if 1008 stopped, has similar language to Senator Holman's bill, if it just stopped there and didn't have all these uh, areas of prohibited investments and requirements for divestiture, uh, if it didn't include that, we would be okay with, uh, with House Bill 1008. So we're anxiously waiting to see um, what the amendment uh, consists of and, and um, how they try to uh, further move this bill through the House. But I know there's a lot of concern uh, among legislators, you know, who don't want to vote for a bill that might um, cost the state uh, a lot of money because uh, the funds would be earning less. And so if they earn less, then you got to supplement that with more taxpayer dollars. So you're okay with what the Senate bill would do? With the Holdman bill, yes. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Any uh, further questions? Yeah, I had uh, another question. No, uh, on Monday, I believe House Republicans are supposed to unveil their budget, uh, particularly uh, for who's maybe some type of property tax uh, relief. Kevin, any concern that uh, as lawmakers uh, work to deal with the residential tax rates, that it may increase the commercial uh, tax rates because that money's got to come from somewhere. Well, uh, we're very uh, concerned and following this very closely. I, I might challenge your your, uh, your last statement. The money's got to come from somewhere. Um, the projections that Representative Thompson talked about in committee, I think it was a week ago, Thursday, um, maybe two weeks ago now, um, indicated that uh, with no uh, interference or, or intervention, I guess is a better word from the General Assembly that local government levies um, were projected to go up uh, on average uh, 10% or a bit more 
um, his bill, House Bill 1499, could reduce the um, the one percent cap by um, a tenth of a percent. And and this is interesting because most folks uh, understand and believe that the the one two three caps are locked in stone, and that's what they are. An act constitutional language that was adopted said up to one or two or three percent. So the legislature can lower that cap, and that's what Representative Thompson proposes to do. What that does is reduce the increase in revenue that um, local government is projected to receive from 10% to about 6%. So in that case, the, there isn't a shift. There isn't money having to come from somewhere. It's just, um, bending the curve a bit on the amount of growth that local government would receive. If they take that approach and there's no shift, um, we're okay with that. There are a number of other bills, as, as you're alluding to, that would um, shift the burden from residential property to other property, uh, business and commercial, industrial, agriculture. Um, and we would oppose that because Right now, um, non-residential uh, property taxpayers are already paying a disproportionate share greater than their share of its valuation. So the, their share of assessed valuation is less than what they're actually, uh, their actual share of the total property taxes collected statewide. Thank you, sir. Okay, any uh, further questions? Any other topics you want to talk about? Okay, I might with that um, additional bill that we're waiting uh, uh, for action in the Appropriations Committee <clears throat> is Senate Bill uh, 4347. Reversed my three and my four there for a moment, um, which is the, the um, work share bill, as it's called. Um, which would give employers a second alternative to complete layoffs um, during a recession or severe economic downturn. Uh, that bill passed out of the Senate Pensions and Labor Committee by an eight to one vote, was recommitted to appropriations. And um, we're hopeful that um, Senator Mishler, who is the gatekeeper on so many of these bills on the Senate side, uh, will grant that a hearing uh, at his uh, committee meeting next week, but we're, um, as Adam is with the driving card, we're waiting to see. Okay, with that, we'll go ahead and conclude today's session. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, everyone. We appreciate you being here. All right, have a good Yes, thank you. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.